have I got a story for you. Red-footed boobies perching on heads. Early morning. Drunken cow riding. Being naked, afraid, wet, and hungry enough to eat diarrhea-tasting fish. Saving a stray dog from potential gang rape. Just two of those events happened in the same country, but they all came together in this conversation. But first... A word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is like that small town boutique shop on the corner where you find the type of merch that the big box stores, they just don't have. Sure, go to Amazon if you like, and just like everyone else, you'll be scrolling through product after product, never really feeling like you found anything unique, original, one of a kind. Well, I can tell you, Every fucking thing on AndrePsyche.com is unique and original because it's all created by Andre. I'm talking about arts, prints, music, podcasts, poetry, literature, clothing, accessories. And I'm not sure if this is an accurate statement as in one backed by science or standardized testing, but the man's a fucking creative genius. For instance, he went to a protest in Seattle, recorded some video, went home, wrote, produced, recorded, edited, collaborated, and posted a song that day. Facts. True story. Go to YouTube. Search him up. Andre Psyche presents Hope. That's him right there playing the guitar, singing like the cherub who has blessed us with his voice. Right there is the kind of feeling, emotion, and originality that you're getting with any product you purchase from his website. AndrePsyche.com needs to be the next site you visit. It's worth the trip down the rabbit hole. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. We are still in need of additional sponsors, but we are not in need of additional guests. <laughs> it has been amazing how many people want to share their stories and perspectives. If you haven't, this pod puts us at 43 guests. Take a little time and scroll through the playlist. I really like how Spotify lays out the sections. Look at the pics, read the descriptions. Take some time to get to know someone you wouldn't normally meet. Go to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, follow and friend us to get updates as to when new pods are posted and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen so that the latest episodes will be there waiting on you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Dan. Dan, who is coming to us from a late early morning in Hawaii. How's it going, man? Not too bad. How are you doing? Uh, couldn't be better. Got a full day in of uh, at-home working. So I'm a teacher down here in Delaware and uh, online learning with the kids, homeschooling with my daughter, and now uh, getting to talk to a guy who uh, has buttery fingers with Bloody Mary mix, apparently. I know. I know. I was, <laughs> it was late calling in. I smashed it all over the floor when I got up. <laughs> I was what like so and I don't know I guess like does the Facebook do you startle easily was the Facebook ring like oh shit or no 
No, it was about one minute before you called. I just have, you know, things are expensive here in Hawaii. You got a smaller little treehouse place and things packed into the fridge. And uh, inevitably, I opened up the refrigerator door and it just fell out and smashed everywhere. I hate that shit. That's typical. Right? Uh, worst problems to have, I guess. No doubt. So you're, are you renting in Hawaii or what do you mean when you say things are expensive? Cause I got no idea. I know it's an island. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I live in, um, I live in Honolulu, just sort of on the outskirts of the city in this little like tree house thing. Uh, pretty cool, but yeah, I'm, I'm renting it at the moment. Me and my husband are, we're hoping to buy something, but we keep looking at houses and being like, I don't have a million dollars. <laughs> oh shit. Is it that kind of market? <laughs> Oh yeah, the so we're I mean like a little ohana, which means like family unit, like a mother-in-law suite kind of thing. Gotcha. Like off the back of this one house, um, out in the jungle, but like the house we're attached to, it's not a nice. It it's like kind of moldy and a little old and needs a lot of renovations, and it's a three and a half million dollar house. What the? F- what's the square footage on that <laughs> bitch? Oh, it's well, it's actually pretty big. Um, <laughs> Maybe like twenty five hundred. Oh wow! Something and like that. Like wicked nice view. Are you like right on the beach kind of oh, a thing? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we're back in the jungles, but so it's like this little moldy glass box that I'm renting that's hanging over a river. But everyone on one side of the river, back in this jungle, uh, owns the property on the other side, on the opposite side. So the opposite, and they kept it undeveloped. So it's uh-huh. just like looking out over the jungle it's super cool oh got you got you yeah it and it costs the same as like a little a little concrete box that people rent out down in waikiki okay yeah so we we sacrifice the uh modern anemones and gain some mold and bugs but we also gain this amazing view (laughs) and the waterfall and everything so i can handle that mold and bugs don't bother me too much yeah <laughs> right yeah you would hope not right all right <laughs> my one my one survival tool germex <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> there you go <laughs> my, last night my daughter and i we were watching one of the little, little episodes so part of the reason why i was getting up with different people and i'm um, trying to guilt them into coming on the pod is my daughter's become a huge fan of naked and afraid so like nice she's 10 years old and she still has like her little um like her little stuffed animals that she just loves and can't do anything without. So uh-huh. we make the joke, like if she were on naked and afraid, her partner would come out and the partner would have like the pot, right? Cause you got to like clean the water. And then like, she'd bust out her little monkey mama stuffed animal and she'd be like, I'm all set. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, we'll figure the rest of this shit out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So why did, are you originally from Hawaii? Is that why you're renting or are you just so into nature? It was just that beautiful. You had to go there. Basically. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm originally from upstate New York. Um, oh my God. Kind of a, a small, a small town near Rochester, New York, okay. near like Ontario. Um, but I don't know. The, I love my family and all, all of them are there, but the weather is terrible. I swear 90% of the year is like, gray wet winter and everybody's angry right dude that's (laughs) so so true yeah but i I went down i um studied marine biology in um, wilmington north carolina at university of north carolina wilmington and um while i was there i saw a flyer for this to volunteer with the sea turtle program and in hawaii on the big island okay and um 
I was like, yeah, absolutely. Why not? And I applied and got it and went and volunteered for three months and just like completely fell in love with Hawaii. Has anyone ever um, said I went to Hawaii and completely fucking hated it? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Some people do actually. Some people do. And we're like, well, all right, we've got enough people. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. What, like, what is there to hate? Is it like traffic a bitch or what? Um, yeah, well, the cost of living I'm a fresh where meat. I am in I'm in Honolulu because I, I work um I work for the federal government so I have to be close to the federal building where I'm based out of okay um but on this island there's like 90% of the population it's like 90 95 or something like that but it's it's one of the smaller islands so yeah traffic can be nuts here especially when it's full full on tourism season oh gotcha yeah and you know a lot of people too like some more privileged white people come here and say, oh, Hawaii is the most racist place I've ever been. But it's it's not at all. People just, you're just not the majority. It's the first time people come here and have to check their white privilege, I think. So. <laughs> oh, shit. Some, some certain types of people, it turns them off. But it's really not a, it's not that much of a thing. Dude, that's so interesting. Yeah, because they're yeah. like renting out whatever that million dollar beach house. So they're paying a ton thinking like they're entitled yeah. Didn't even exactly. think about that before. Holy shit. Good. Like they, they need a little bit of that, man. Everyone needs to be, <laughs> especially like oh, white yeah. people should definitely face a little bit of awkward uncomfortableness just to understand what it's like to be a minority. Like honestly. Exactly. Um, golly day. So yeah, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. So dude, you went and got a couple months for free checking out sea turtles and tagging them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I was working with um, Hawksville sea turtles. It was through the um, Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. So I lived in the park and um, and then went out, uh, was camping at remote beaches all around the Big Island of Hawaii and monitoring and tagging and just basically data collecting um, on uh, Hawksville sea turtles whenever it would come up to nest at night. It was amazing. I volunteered for three months and I came back and worked for a whole season as a technician later on and I don't know, Hawaii stuck with me since then. Yeah. That's the right kind of volunteer internship to pick, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is, yeah, is marine biology like a pretty big, um, like employment area or field down there in Hawaii? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's decent. I mean, it, it, it's a tough one because like the, the number of people that actually have marine biologists as their job title is like extremely low, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people, especially, you know, ones I'm working with where um, marine biology comes into play. For my job, for example, I'm just a, a general biologist, but, um, but I work for the, it's a mouthful, so get ready. It's called <laughs> the Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument. You said that so well. I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like <laughs> I you knew, I feel like you knew you were going to fucking kill it and you were like, yeah, let me just flex. Let me flex my linguistics <laughs> for a me. moment. When I applied for this current job, I, I swear I practiced saying that word for an hour straight before the interview, just saying the word over and over again. <laughs> like, if I'm going to be working for this place, I can't mess up the name. <laughs> no doubt. I like, got to get this right. So great to have you. Was it as far as like, to get it right, are you trying to listen like to Hawaiian music? Is there like a Hawaiian Rosetta Stone? What do you? <laughs> did you hire a linguistic coach? <laughs> well, you know when you when you first come to Hawaii, like all the street names are in Hawaiian. There's a lot of Hawaiian words that we use. Like there's 
there's very few people. There are some. There's very few people that speak fluent straight Hawaiian. Like you don't come around and walk around the streets in Honolulu and hear people just fluently speaking Hawaiian. But um, but it's actually the pronunciation is not very difficult because all of the all of the vowels are pronounced the same. Like an A in every single word is pronounced the same. And there's a couple different symbols and like pokinas and stops and stuff that make you um, like pronounce the letter or the vowel longer and things like that. But but every A, every O, every U, things like that are all pronounced the same. Okay. So you can look at literally any word, a word you've never seen before, and know how to pronounce it, which is not the case in English. Oh, dude. It's just, a, it's just a long, complicated looking word. So you just have to sit there and say it out a couple times. Be comfortable with polysyllables. But we understand it's, it's difficult to pronounce. Even if you go to the website, one of the first things you'll see is a recording of, the, of someone saying the word. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. I had no idea. Like, I was going to say Polynesian for the language. Is it actually referred to as Hawaiian? Yeah. Or yeah. are they two there's separate bunch, languages? There's a few different Polynesian languages. Oh, so it's a dialect yeah. of. Is Would that be the right way to say it? It's a dialect from? Um, no, it's its own separate language. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Like Moana. If you listen to Moana, all the, the songs and stuff, uh-huh. they're from just a million different not a million, slight exaggeration, but a whole bunch of different Polynesian languages, including Hawaiian. It's like a mashup of different languages and those songs and stuff. Got you. Got you. So not only are you a biologist, you're also an expert on Hawaiian language. Jesus, you're talented. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Dude, how long have you been there? Uh, I've been on this. I'm on Oahu now. Um, again, where Honolulu is for almost four years now and i was on big island on and off for like three three and a half years okay so do you feel so one thing in southern delaware in our little county we live like near a beach town so like a lot of people move here but they say like we have one hospital kind of a thing so it's like if you weren't born at the hospital you're not from here and like Mm -hmm. people aren't like total dicks or anything like that but it, it is one of those things where it's like i don't know if you can call yourself local like if you didn't go to school can you name some teachers kind of a thing do you yeah. do you feel like local or do you feel kind of like as a weird middle person? Like I'm not touristy. I'm clearly able to hang linguistically. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I if I considered myself able to hang linguistically, I would I would be throwing some pigeon at you right now. <laughs> pigeon? Any local can speak some good Hawaiian pigeon, but I I cannot so well. But um, I no, I think yeah. I, Kind of the uh, middle ground you said describes a little better. I, you certainly like you. Someone in my boots wouldn't call myself Hawaiian by any means. Um, I don't have any Hawaiian blood. Gotcha. And I, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's my home, but I'm, you know, I'm not like local as most people use the word. Gotcha. And so, is there? Is there not animosity between the islands, but is it a big deal if you're like an island hopper? Does each little island and and I'm sorry, I guess I am like now relying on you as not only the linguistical expert, but also <laughs> the cultural expert on top of it. But like I'm 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 so curious about like how this interacts because I hadn't even thought about that racist thing that you were thinking about and white privilege, but now I'm like, that's so fucking rare and unique. So like are, are there little issues in between the islands? Like if do they look down on an island or if you say like you're Hawaiian, is that inaccurate? Almost like saying you're American and not saying the state you're from 
or am I just overthinking everything now? Um, let me break it down a little bit. So there's not too much animosity between islands, except for there's definitely on other islands other than Oahu. There's like a negative view of Oahu um, in a lot of people's minds. So again, Oahu is the one that it's a smaller island. It's a smaller one of the main Hawaiian islands, but it has like 95% of the population again, something like that. Oh, shit. And um, it's super touristy. I mean, right now we have a 14-day quarantine. Basically, tourists are not here, which is really nice, actually. Yeah. But um, and And that's where a lot of the people think their impression that I, I think this is very inaccurate personally but their impression that like some parts of Hawaii are quote-unquote racist is because some parts of Hawaii which is more prevalent on other islands other than Oahu they don't you know they don't like tourists coming around so much Gosh. which makes sense because they don't want all the other islands to become like Oahu is which is overpopulated and a lot of the, the Hawaiian culture which is really vibrant and alive and absolutely amazing um, in a lot of Oahu, at least, is really just put on for show for tourists. Oh, sellout type shit. Yeah, it's like turned into sort of a, yeah, sort of a show. Yeah, gitchy. It, it's just, it, it, yeah. We're, we're selling authentic. This is what local is and that kind of yeah. branding. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural yeah. appropriation. And like, almost. I've gone to a couple of the luau's and the, tourists pay like $200 to go to and some of them are really really cool um but at some points then at the same time you're like oh I feel like as a culture we're gonna frown upon this in like 20 years <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah you could you yeah. can see that because it's almost like a it's almost and I don't know if it's almost like but it made me think of like blackface where you just have these really terrible stereotypes that are like yeah, acted out yeah, in public it's playing up on all these strange stereotypes. Yeah. And, and it's like, why are we perpetuating that? Like, like if you went to a Hawaiian's house, you're like, well, how come you're not juggling flaming bats right now? Right. How come you're not breathing fire? <laughs> how, who, who has the ukulele? Why isn't everyone dancing? Right. Like right. It, it would just be weird to go <laughs> there with that kind of mindset. That's a good point. What stops people from buying up the other parts of the Island? Are there laws against it, like culturally, like you have to be born there to own land, kind of a thing? Um, no, but you know they've been uh, trying to pass some laws like that. <laughs> there was a big headline the other day. Actually, this was just uh, like a couple weeks ago. A headline went around saying that a uh, a law got passed saying that you had to be a resident in order to own land, not necessarily like native Hawaiian, but a resident in, able, in order to buy and own land here. Hmm. Um, but then I read the article and it said it's not, um, it's not going to be enforced until 2050 in order to allow for time to further the conversation. <laughs> and I was like, that's 30 years from now. <laughs> you yeah. need a new generation in order to further the conversation. God, you know what? It was sort of a weird headline, but yeah, trying. it's something people have been fighting for, but unfortunately, it's not because there there are a lot of foreign people, like um, people from China and other, and you know, mainland United States and other places that are buying up a lot of land. But it's still surprisingly rural on um, you know Big Island and Kauai and other areas. And is it just pretty rural? Because 
it's rural. Like there's no commercial development that then like um, perpetuates what's that civilization <laughs> people wanting to build like townhomes <laughs> and shit like that. Or it's like, does one person just own like 150 acres at a place kind of a thing and you don't um, chop it up to sell it? Uh, well, there is some like big ag- agriculture, like here on Oahu, a, a big portion is owned by um, like dole plantations, grow pineapples and stuff uh, like that. But, right. Um, yeah. Man. I've... But um, yeah, no, other places are just, it, it depends what other places are just straight up rural and a lot of the local communities, again, push back on development and stuff like that, which helps to an extent, but. Yeah, it's odd. So with the quarantine in Delaware, again, we're a resort town and it's. It's funny because a lot of people own a second home down here because we're kind of beachy. We're across the bay. So New York City, Philadelphia, Baltimore, D.C., these people pay four hundred, five hundred thousand 500000 for a pretty close to the beach home, million, two million for mm-hmm. an actual beach home. And then, Carney, you know, you drive down and our governor's like, man, you got to stay in your house for 14 days. And cops are like, now you can't even come in if you don't have a central business type thing. And it brought up a lot of like constitutional issues with me just thinking like the locals are all like, yeah, stay the fuck out. You know, this is, we live here. And it's like, well, they, they paid for a home here. Don't they pay taxes? Aren't they kind of entitled to their property? Yeah. To get there. That's interesting. Yeah. So like it, when I think of Hawaii like that, I like my initial gut wants to be like, yeah, keep these people out, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like don't let them encroach on your property and your culture. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm like, if it's for sale and someone buys it, don't you kind of have to like let that happen? Yeah. Yeah. But but also I, see, I think there's a difference in like it, we they wouldn't take back land from someone who – or a property from someone that bought it. But to prohibit you know rich people from the outside of buying things up, the, the main – one of the main uh, reasons behind that push is because – like I was talking about earlier, things are so expensive here, especially here on Oahu, just insanely expensive. And when there's all these rich people just trying to buy up second homes and stuff like that that don't live here, it's driving it just it's one of the factors that drives the prices higher and higher and higher. So then like second, and third generation can't afford a home. Yeah, and that's that's a huge problem. I mean you're it's blatantly obvious now. Like a lot of locals, a lot of native Hawaiians just can't afford to live here in their own, on their own land. Right. Which we essentially stole from them, but that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, man, I just, it's such an odd thing. And you would hope like, um, is it just land that's wicked? Like how much is a gallon of gas over there right now? Uh, well, it's dropping a lot as right? it is everywhere. But right now, last I saw it was $3. Oh my God, dude. We're down to a buck 60 here. Yeah. Wow. It was like four something the other day. Wow. And what about like, that's the standard. Like what about loaf of bread, gallon of milk? <laughs> gallon of milk. That's one people always point out because the, you know, we don't have dairy over here, but gallon of milk is like four sixty, four seventy five. Okay. Sometimes more, something like that. Gotcha. It'd be crazy, but everyone here shops at, here where I am at least, shops at Costco. Okay. I don't know how they can keep their prices so low, but they're, I've heard they're comparable to what they co- things cost on the mainland. Oh, really? Huh. <laughs> but, but you go to Costco and end up getting like five dozen eggs when you don't need that. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the one Costco that operates at a loss so that 
they can have the tax deduction, mm-hmm. you know, and then have like yeah. the online shipping center that they can then um, like use as an island hopper to get somewhere else. There, there's definitely a yeah. business strategy if they're keeping it low. Oh yeah, it's so low. Damn. So this will be the, the last busiest one in the country. It's insane. <laughs> Is it the busiest yeah. one in America? Yep. No, it's not. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. The one down the street from me is known as the busiest one in all of the United States. So it's just shutting out it's all kinds house. of mom and pop shops that were there because everyone goes there because it's so cheap. Mm-hmm. Basically. Oh man. See, so yeah, corporate greed. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. No. I fuck. feel like I feel like for whatever reason, grocery stores get away with being monopolies, like more than any other business. Like Walmart, Target, all those places get shit. But like I'm from, um, you, well, you might have this in Delaware. I'm from upstate New York where we have Wegmans. Do you have that? Uh, Wegmans grocery store? I think. No. Uh, well, it, in a nutshell, it's basically just this massive, giant, giant grocery store with super low prices and really, really good food. And everyone loves it. Everyone loves it. But I like, it was weird for me when I moved from New York to North Carolina because I moved down to North Carolina and there's like, Food Lion and Sack and Save there it and like is. all these and Safeway and like there it is. You're talking about grocery language, stores, right? But in New York, there's just Wegmans and everyone loves it. It's everyone's favorite Monopoly. <laughs> but it's same with Costco here. No one complains about it because everyone's going there. Yeah, right. I guess that's why. Because it would like, would you really be upset if you walked around and just found like cheaper meat, right? Cheaper anything, mm-hmm. like. At, at, yeah. Unless you're that in that business where you're like, dude, I got to mark my price up because I don't have that volume, you know, to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I could. Amazon is the bigger problem here with that. What do you mean? Well, we have like everyone uses Amazon Prime; they can get things shipped out here for free, basically. Right. So people, unfortunately, myself included, um, sometimes will like walk around to a store and see something you need and be like, Oh, Uh, let me see how much this is on Amazon. And then you're like, Oh, okay. It's $20 cheaper. Let me just buy it on Amazon while I'm walking around the store. Right. (laughs) And then walk out without buying anything. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so that person too. I feel like a dick, but at the same time, I'm like, by the way, you probably bought it from Amazon and you're just marking it up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you're hoping I don't have Wi-Fi (laughs) or internet access right now. (laughs) man all right so this and i promise this will be the last thing about living in hawaii because i don't know why i just kind of dork out on like talking to residents of different places <laughs> um, sure if if i'm packing up today and i'm moving my life to hawaii should i like should i take a bunch of shit with me should i just take nothing with me can i land there grab an airbnb for a week stay at a Hilton and then I'm going to find like some rentals or is it just a pain in the ass to move to Hawaii? Uh, it depends on the person. Oh. I don't know. I like, I like my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> people, I think people misjudge me in the beginning and like, Oh, you probably like love tiny homes and all those things. I'm like, fuck no. I like my stuff. I love clutter. <laughs> so it would be a pain for me to move to Hawaii with like all of my life because I'd want to bring everything with me. But but you don't really need much. I mean, like, I again, I work in the federal building. My formal wear is like an Aloha shirt and some jeans. And that's, you know, dressed up. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even you go to formal events here. I don't think I've ever been to a formal event where you have to wear like a tie or anything. You never even hear about that. Wow. 
But yeah, you know, you don't really need much. Bring some board shorts and some slippers and <laughs> it's pretty easy. That sounds glorious. Yeah. God, that sounds and by the way, airfare is wicked down right now, so it might be the time to go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You gotta stay in quarantine for two weeks, so Yeah, right. Didn't and I didn't click on the article. Didn't somebody I think it was like a New Yorker went to Hawaii, took a picture of himself on the beach and got arrested. Yeah. 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 There, there are, we've been hearing, you know, anecdotal stories of a lot of tourists coming here and breaking quarantine, but the ones that make the news are getting arrested. There was a newlywed couple that came here for their honeymoon and weren't listening, weren't obeying quarantine and got arrested. Cause I, there's not much they can do right now to enforce it. Like if you're staying in a hotel though, they're, um, I think they're informing the hotels and when you check in the hotel knows that you have that you're supposed to be in quarantine for two weeks uh, that's Gestapo um, type shit and that's like catching some people and other people are just like getting here and posting photos on social media and bragging about it and then people like locals are seeing that getting angry and they're like tagging themselves in Waikiki on the beach <laughs> saying hey I just came in from New York what quarantine <laughs> and, they're getting, and then they get smacked with a $5,000 fine and put in jail Holy shit, dude. Five G's. Uh, yeah, up to that. Wow. That's what I've been hearing. So, and is everything just fucking like la-di-da open out there because the quarantine rules are so strict like that? Um, like, could you go to a bar right now? We're sort of making our way to there. Like, we've had like a, multiple days in a row with zero new cases in all of Hawaii. And I think yesterday we had one new case or something. But, um, Everything was still closed. I think last Friday we started to open up um, some retailers to like drive through service and different things like that. But we were just, we were locked down in most of the country. We were in complete lockdown, even when we were having zero new cases every day. When Georgia was opening up and had more new cases every yeah. single day than we had through the entire thing here in Hawaii. I, yeah. <laughs> But like, so some of that, what I don't get is like, people realize that data is not like up to the minute. Like there's lags and shit. No, like when you exactly. open up and a new case pop and you're like, oh my God, your new cases rise. You're like, that's actually not a correlation because that's data mm-hmm. from like four days ago or something. Like exactly. nobody yeah, ever says, yeah, nobody ever says like, well, 80% of the tests were from three days. 12% of the tests were from two days. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I hate that shit, man. Like people don't fucking put it together. I don't know. Um, well, thank you for being our official tour guide around the island. Um, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> so getting to know you a little bit, Dan, I'm, that's me trying to refocus myself. Um, instead of geeking out on Hawaii and making plans to figure out how I can live there. So teach, <laughs> teaching jobs, easy, easy to get a teaching job. Could I be a teacher over there or would they look at oh, me? Yeah. Actually? Yeah. Really? Yeah desperately looking for teachers shut up there's a lot of problems with the education system here which i think i'm not an expert on this topic but i think is like um is why a lot of people don't want to come and be a teacher here but desperately looking for teachers oh my god all right can we stay there just for like a couple more minutes then not to be rude to you sure but i don't don't know too much about it but i'll say what i can right like (laughs) um yeah like is there I mean, just go. Fuck. Like, does it pay decent? Is it terrible pay for like standard of living comparison kind of a thing? I, yeah, I think that's one of the problems. I think the pay relative to cost of living is not great. Mm. It's not like Alaska where they just shell out insane amounts of money to get people to come there. 
Right. <laughs> I have some friends that moved to Alaska to be in like teachers and medical field and getting paid like a hundred thousand dollars. And you but, just um, bank that. That's actually could be decent, man. You bank that shit yeah. for a couple of years and then come back. Yeah. Right. I know. I know a lot of people that have done that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. You have to look into it though. The, the pay is not the best from what I've heard. Um, and cost of living is super high. It's really, really hard if you're, um, if you have like a significant other or someone you can share rent with, it's like doable. But if you're trying to live on your own and or something like that and coming from the mainland, you're like, you're going to have to go for like a much smaller house or much smaller place than you're used to, which gotcha. some people aren't too into it. And like, are the kids terrible or are the kids like just kids? Is there something like, why is the educational system kind of screwed up? Um, I really, I really don't know too much about that, to be honest. I, I think the kids are fine. Right? It's just not, I don't know, it's not up to par with a lot of other parts of the country. See, that would be interesting, man, because like around here, and we're kind of getting priced out with the beach homes for like what's comparable to salary. So mm-hmm. the locals here, you go medical or you go education. And those are kind of the two fields where if you get a, like a degree or two, you're going to be middle class. Like it's not a huge yeah. deal. Um, yep. But that's in, like fucking paradise is struggling to find teachers. If that shit gets out, y'all might get flooded. <laughs> Good Lord. Right. <laughs> right. Like dude, that's one of the easiest jobs. Like Lord help you. If you post a job for a gym teacher, I bet you there's all sorts of motherfuckers that are going to go after that. Right. I know. I completely did Why not expect you want to live that. here in paradise. Right. All right, man. All right. That's my last pivot. Let's get to know you. Good God. Thank you for that half hour. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Absolutely. Dude. So upstate New York to marine biology, were you just a kid that uh-huh. was lonely and had an aquarium? How did you so get into or- <laughs> Basically, that basically sums up my childhood. That was pretty accurate. I'm impressed. Shut up, man. Shut (laughs) shut up. Lonely with an aquarium. I I couldn't have nailed it. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I don't know. When I I was a kid, like some of my friends will know this about me. When I was a little kid in elementary and middle and most of high school, I was like extremely unpopular. Nice. (laughs) I think I was just kind of weird. I was just kind of weird. I still am kind of weird. Dude, it's, and, uh, it's called unique and charismatic. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I had all kinds of aquariums and I would like go out and play around in the swamps. Our family had this little like quote unquote cottage type thing on uh, East Bay, which is near, near Sodus Bay off of Lake Ontario. And I don't know, sort of grew up in the outdoors a lot and fell in love with, fish and science and all that and i was actually into art for years and years and years sculpture and was planning on going to art school and the last time last minute i changed it to uh marine biology oh because (laughs) was it the money you were just like do i want to be the starving artist kind of yeah i was like i can always do science with art on the side but i can't do art with science on the side so Ah. that doesn't make as much sense so but I haven't done too much art since I left high school, unfortunately. But. Now, are you coming to that conclusion by yourself because you're a man of science and you made the T-chart and you just went like pros <laughs> <Exactly>. cons? <laughs> yes. Okay. Dude, so tell yes. me a little bit about weird, unpopular you. Because on it, like if people look at the um, 
whatever, whatever limited internet stalking I did of you. And I mean, you're in shape, right? Like if you look at you, you're like, man, you're a cool guy. You're running, even though you kind of weirded out with like face black and eyeshadow and shit on naked and afraid pictures, which was, (laughs) (laughs) which my daughter was like, no, I don't think I've seen him daddy. (laughs) Cause, and she goes, cause I would remember that. Um, so seem like a great hang. Like what's the unpopularity about? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just wore like, I wore sweatpants up until halfway through high school, like only sweatpants. I had this bowl cut. Oh, <laughs> like, fuck. I don't know. I, I, maybe I just didn't, I don't know. Wasn't very with it, I guess. I yeah. had this strange bowl cut that my mom gave me because she wanted my colic to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we need to keep the weight dan we need to keep the right? weight we can't <laughs> go any higher <laughs> i know my hair was all like six, six inches long in a perfect bowl i gotta dig up some of those pictures and post them but oh shit <laughs> yeah oh man so is was it and it's almost like a chicken and an egg thing did your interest in the animals kind of develop because you're feeling like a little like, man, people aren't getting me or Um, are you just not giving a fuck because you're like, I don't care about people. I'm into my animals. Yeah, basically I was, I was always into animals and science and stuff like that. But I wasn't even like, I wasn't even a good, I wasn't like average, low average student all through until the last year of high school. I think it was honestly like when I was doing art in high school, I was, really good at it like really good at ceramics and 3d art and um i was in a whole bunch of like traveling shows around the country and stuff like that and i think that was the first thing i can remember that i was ever actually like good at right and for the first time in my life gave me a whole bunch of confidence and i started doing like i was like oh okay i can be good at things and then i was all of a sudden really good at science and all these other like classes that i guess i just hadn't really tried out too hard before right I don't know. Yeah. It gave me a lot of, uh, confidence. Luckily, right. When it started mattering, cause I mean, for all the kids that are listening, shut your ears for the next minute, but you know, <laughs> grades don't really matter until like you start taking AP classes in high school oh, and dude. then college. But before that, like whatever, you're going to get through school anyway, as long as you pass. <laughs> dude, dude, with this quarantine stuff, it's the online education and the policies that are coming like the governor of delaware just said no child will be held accountable or fail because of the quarantine Mm -hmm. so teachers are pumping out assignments for kids to do online and again we're talking about adolescents who the governor of the state just said the fourth marking period will not hurt you in any way because of the coronavirus and it took about a week and now people are starting to figure out they're like so if i do nothing I'm fine. Yep. And you're like, why would you say that? And it, it's almost revealing exactly what you said. Like the, the myth of the got to get straight A's. It's really more about like the work habits, man. It's really more about, can you get shit done? Can you study? Can exactly. you write? It's not about what some fucking arbitrary recall knowledge test tells you or someone's opinion of your mm-hmm. essay, giving you an 85 and feeling like you failed. Like it's oh, it, totally. life is so not that. Like I did, I did really, really well in college. 
<laughs> Hopefully none of my professors are listening to me. I did great in college. I'm a really good student, but I am just way too good at cramming for things. Way too good. Dude, like, what's wrong I, with- can, I can cram all the knowledge a couple hours before a test and get like a 98. But then I know other people that get like 70s on things that can recall that knowledge like a year later, just right off the bat. Oh, shit. And I cannot. Like, <laughs> I feel like they should give a class and then make you recall it a year from then to see what you actually learned. Dude, that's a great <laughs> fucking call, man. There are those two. Dude, that is actually, you just nailed it. Those are the two types of, so I've been looking at TikTok and you see TikTok videos of like, they break down like the stereotypes of like, this is who this is, right? Like this is this kind of person who goes into a strip club and like there's three or four different Mm -hmm. personalities. Those really are like the two type of successful students, the people who actually remember and the people who can just focus for long enough to figure out how to like bullshit their way to a solid grade. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I still learned a lot in the process, but. I like, God, sometimes after some of those intense tests, like three days later, I could not recall half of the stuff that I put down on that test. Like, Yeah. Dude, I, I, <laughs> I bet. I, I actually think that's pretty common, man, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the way it's organized. Right. It rewards people that just are able to cram and do that kind of thing. So how do you go from New York to North Carolina? Um. I don't know. I'm like, I'm like most people that are around Rochester. I, my mom always encouraged me to, you know, like to get out and try new things. And I don't know, that really, really stuck with me. And I, I was planning on going to South Carolina actually, but my, my mom passed away. She had pancreatic cancer when I was 17 and I ended up um, Holy shit. Um, staying there with her before, before she passed away. So I went to community college up there for two years, which it was great, actually. I was upset about it at the moment, but or at the time, but um, but it ended up being great, super cheap. Dude, but, commu- uh, then after people- that, I went down to North Carolina and loved it down there. I don't know, maybe I was <laughs> naive. Usually, people see uh, marine biology as a pipe dream, but I just kept following it and went down to Wilmington, and I loved that city. What was uh, to love about it? I've never been. Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's like, it's like this quaint, um, quaint Southern city. There's, there's a decent amount of tourism and the beach is right there. And, um, but it's also like a college town. And I don't know, at that time in my life, there were were a lot of like bars and clubs and like outdoor activities at the same time. And, and, uh, and like a, a small, cool gay community at the same time, which I'd never been a part of before that really. And, um, oh, I don't know. It, it was a really nice size, I guess. Gotcha. So it was cool homey. Setting. It was like, it felt homey, but it had things to do. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Gotcha. Had you visited or anything when you were looking for colleges in New York or you just saw a flyer? You saw that shit on the internet and you were like, done. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do most things. But I, I had visited once, but I had only visited, I only visited two colleges and I was like, this is the one. Gotcha. I like this one, dude. That's it, it's funny. Sometimes it um it can hit you. You just get to a place and you're like, you don't know why, but it just fucking feels yeah. right. And you're like, I'm set. Yep, completely. Yeah, set. it was between that, like uh, Woods Hole in um, Massachusetts, another marine biology college on the East Coast. And um, I didn't want to live in Massachusetts. It was too close. So 
too close because of weather wise or too close because of people wise? Um, both. I don't know. I just want to be like somewhere different in a different culture and a different climate. Like, gotcha. All those things. So the idea of being a little further away, like 12 hour drive down in North Carolina was a little more, a little more appealing. Right. Yeah. I I liked it down there more than I thought I would be honest. Like coming from New York, you have all the stereotypes of the South, especially when you're a kid and don't know any better. And I ended up really enjoying living down there. Yeah. I feel like the stereotypes are stereotypes about race or about like homosexuality. All of the above. Got you. Holy shit. You know what I just realized? Like I've never thought about that either. And again, you can slap me if you want to feel free. (laughs) Um, Jesus, dude, you're having to, so you know, you're, you're homosexual while you're picking colleges. Oh yeah. Talk about another kind of fucking pressure. Like, will, can I be me in this far off land or whatnot? I dude, I'd never fucking considered that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember thinking about it too much, to be totally honest with you. But a lot of people have asked me that same question, actually. About like, but it, it was, it, it, yeah, about how I felt about it, and I don't know. I think I, as as I always do, whether this is naive or not, I looked at it like a new, interesting obstacle to overcome. But at the same time, I wasn't like. I remember in my second year of community college, like during this English class when we, I don't know, it was one of those like classes where you get really into like talking about your own life and stuff like that. And, um, really great class. But I remember that during that class, one specific day was the first time where I said like out loud in a group setting, like I said something about having a boyfriend or something like that. And people already knew I was gay for like a couple years at that point, but like, that was the first time I said it out loud. And what I'm getting at is that I was still like coming into it as like being totally nonchalant and, you know, okay. Like anyone else would be with their sexuality. Right. To like larger groups. So it wasn't for me now. Like I I don't even, you know, think of it when I'm like, Oh yeah, my husband, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like it doesn't literally nothing crosses my mind that that's weird when I say it. Yeah. But but at that time, like it was sort of still ingrained in my head. So I don't know. So I didn't think much of it when I was moving to another place that might be weird about it as well. Right now, if I had never experienced the South or whatever, and like, well, good example. When I went to the Peace Corps, it was a very different situation. And I thought about it a lot more then because I was moving to rural Nicaragua where they're extremely religious and their views on homosexuality are very, very different. Um, that was, you know, it took a lot more thought then. Right. Like, what am I getting into? How am I going to like present myself? This and that. Can I get a time reference point of when you're in class and making that announcement? Like what year are we in? That was, I think that was the beginning of my second year. Oh no. Like year, like 2000, zero, like um, you're 60 years old. So it was 1980. Like <laughs> uh, that was 2010, 2010. Oh yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was only 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking now when you're saying it's just easy to like, just like any normal, like anybody would say like, yeah, this is my spouse. This is my husband. This is my wife. Right. Like, yeah, I feel like culturally 
it, it's it's a human right now, right? Like like it's a protected class. Like I feel like it's way more accepted and less judgy. Or is that a little ignorant on my part to feel that way? No, no, you're completely right. Like it's uh I mean homophobia still exists and is very prevalent in its own right, but um compared to where it was, it's um th- there's a a different podcast. I think it was like Hidden Brain or something. I don't know if you listened to that one. I haven't heard <laughs> it's of it. A little little advertisement there. Uh, also a good podcast, not as good as yours. <laughs> Man, you have not listened to any of my podcasts. Stop. <laughs> but um, but they, they did a piece on it on like people's attitudes towards homosexuality versus um, like women's rights and racism and things like that and how they were sort of analyzing it and how attitudes towards homosexuality have in the past 10 years have changed dramatically more than anyone like social scientists, anyone could have predicted. And they were trying to like analyze the reasons why that happened and all this different stuff. But yeah, no, we're in a completely different place in the United States from where we were. Right. So like, and I don't know how old you are and you don't have to say if you don't want to, but I'm turning 39 this summer. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I mean, I lived with two, I rented a room from two gay guys while I was in community college, man. And like, I yeah. work with these dudes for three years and I just thought they like fucking carpooled in. <laughs> and you know, this is yeah. like late nineties, early two thousands type shit. And then you're like, wait, y'all like live to, Oh my same bedroom. And like, at first you <laughs> think it's like odd, but at the same time, I'm like, again, 1920 and I just coming out of the military. Yeah. And like, you'd, you'd be like, Oh, you fucking homo type shit. And it was like, no, they're fucking cool, man. They're great guys. Like they're, Oh my God, they're just people. (laughs) Like it's the same fucking person that you knew. It's not anything extra. So I guess I say all that to say, like, I feel like my generation may have been the first where that like social awareness of like the shaming, the guilt, the depression you can put on people just for being a dick because someone isn't attracted to the opposite sex. I feel like that really got put on me to like accept and to not judge. Mm-hmm. And like you take it further to kids now and like kids see it on, t- it's completely accepted on TV now. Like it's, it's nothing to have relationships like that be seen in the media. So I feel like it's yeah. like you're desensitized to it. It's not as shocking as it was. Completely, completely. Yeah. It's, and you know, uh, I'm 29. So I, I have like, feel like I was born at the perfect time <laughs> for all this. Um, but yeah, like one of the things that we're focusing on in that podcast is that I did trying to figure out how to word this. Sorry. I think we made such a difference, you know, the, um, um, you know, the movement for um, the gay rights movement made, had such an impact and was able to be, so successful because they started just pushing for people to, you know, just come out, come out of the closet and try to normalize it in their own lives and talk about it. Like it's completely normal because it is completely normal. And the advantage we have over a lot of other minority groups is that, you know, we're in every, every, every ethnic group, every social economic class, like 
there's gay people everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Completely infiltrated society. There's the bumper sticker. We're like Corona, bitch. There's gay people everywhere. (laughs) You can't get away from us. <laughs> right. So, like, That's once a great people point. started really coming out of the closet, and you know, it started becoming normalized in that sense. Like, yeah. literally, everyone in every class, every race, gender, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was exposed to it. Dude, I remember, I remember, and I forget it was a movie, and I thought it was mid '90s, and it might have been Hillary Swank. Am I wrong? Where she was pretending to know. be a girl. And so there was a story basically where these people, I don't know if it was a transgender issue or a gay issue, but I believe she was a girl that liked another girl. So she was pretending to be a guy and they're going out in a field and like just partying. And all of a sudden they discover she's a girl and she's a lesbian. And I believe they beat her to death. And I remember being a 16 year old kid being like, that is so fucked up. And like that, that almost like just helps with that mindset of not like, oh, she gets what she deserves. She was lying kind of a thing. It's like, no, dude, like imagine how fucking bad she must have felt that she felt she had to portray herself as the opposite gender just to hang out with someone she loved. Oh, totally. Yeah, Yeah. and like that empathy I I feel is real. I don't feel like that's a fake empathy. I feel like that's a humanistic empathy for so many people in our country at least. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. And movies like that just help to normalize because it gives you perspective. Like you can't watch that thing and be like, yeah, she got what she deserved. You know, like you just can't. So it gives you that understanding. Well, well, you'd be surprised. There's some interesting people in our country. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fucking dicks. (laughs) Jesus. Fuck them. I just, I I do that every once in a while. Like the whole like stereotypical, like, man, and if you're that guy, fuck you. seriously right yeah (laughs) Yeah. like but dude if you're still fucking anti like if you're still on that racist stuff and you're still like protected class my ass short whatever man just fucking get some get some acceptance man fuck you Mm -hmm. like get some understanding towards humanistic culture what is culture we accept right you don't piss on me i won't piss on you and keep your lawn clean i'll keep my lawn clean cool we can get along i don't give a fuck yep you know what just amazes me is people are so confident and rooted into their ignorance yeah like ignorance isn't a bad word like ignorance just means you don't really know about something 100 which a lot of people don't really know about something like i'm extremely hard to offend i'll only get offended if you're really trying to offend me um like saying you should have had mimosas like bloody marys are for bitches that kind of a thing (laughs) exactly (laughs) real real men drink mimosas there you go Drink whiskey on the rocks for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but no, people are just so rooted into their ignorance. It's not even funny, dude. That and that's part of what I'm so enjoying about doing this podcast is, like, honestly, I'm looking at your IG page. No idea that you're gay. No idea. And I don't know if it came up on your episode of Naked and Afraid because, really? oh, dude, I had no idea. Zero. There's a, I think there's a couple pictures of me and rainbows on a pride float making out with my husband on my Instagram page. So maybe you look a little I, harder. Maybe I didn't scroll. Maybe I didn't scroll down enough. I went through like six, eight. I saw the five k, or you're out jogging, and I got a couple. And I was like, "All right, cool." No, I didn't keep going. Um, <laughs> but no, like honestly, like had no idea. You look at your pictures. You're like, dude, this is one tough motherfucker. That like, you, you almost go stereotype like man's man, and then you're like, 
oh my god, go. he's gay. <laughs> but you like get a perspective of like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter, man. I'm still, yeah. I'm still that dude. It did come up on my episode a little bit, but they didn't make too much of a thing about it. Gotcha. They like, it, yeah, they like tastefully referred to it. I was kind of pleased with it actually. Oh really? They asked. I mean, they like. I don't think this is giving it too much away, but um, I mean. You know how they, when you're watching Naked and Afraid, you're answering questions and stuff like that. Right. And they, they ask you all kinds of all kinds of different questions, and you can kind of, like, get an idea of what storylines they might be trying to, like, pursue by all the questions they're asking oh, you. Oh, shit, yeah, And right? uh, they, they only end up going with, like, you know, a couple of those storylines. But, um, but they were asking me, like, a lot of questions about being gay and stuff, but they really didn't bring it up other than, like, I think they brought it up the first... The first night, my my partner out there, Holly, was really uncomfortable with uh, cuddling, but it was like it was in the low forties and raining a lot of nights. It was brutally cold, brutally cold, and uh, she she like wouldn't cuddle the first night, and she was like, "So do you have a do you have like a wife or a girlfriend?" And I was like, "No, I have a husband. Just just cuddle me, please." <laughs> Freezing. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> I was preparing like I knew that was going to be a moment they would air on the show so I was like had in my mind some like quippy statement or like some way I would say it and I was just like no no I have a husband please. <laughs> you're you're going into it being like dude I'm gonna do my community and culture proud and then you're yeah. just like stripped to your bare survival and you're like no bitch husband get here now <laughs> please <laughs> I need warmth Dude, that is. He really doesn't care if you cuddle with me. I promise. <laughs> that is so fucking awesome. <laughs> so just just because Holly because Holly was hesitant, um, I've had this question actually with another guest who's trying out to be on Survivor, who watch watches Naked and Afraid as well. She had brought up like the Naked and Afraid cuddling leading to sexual attraction baby thing and we couldn't figure out like early on is it more likely to get on and pop in or is it just so fucking like nasty out that there is no chance of like stimulation there's no chance there's no chance no i mean like maybe you could like i don't know maybe some people could get a little excited or something maybe the first night but it's just a mind fuck being out there because you again you're like stripped down to nothing. Like, I I have crazy ADD and I was worried about being able to like focus on things or what needs to be done. But your mind is so honed into like doing exactly what you need to do to survive. Like, survival mode is like a real thing. Yeah. So she and, like any sexual like desire just goes out the window like it's not even a thing you're just getting eaten by bugs and you're oh, yeah, especially bugs. after the first night there's like ticks in your asshole and you're getting eaten by bugs <laughs> and you're starving and like like you are that is not what you're thinking about dude that that's so, like the number one question all the time is like is it number one because she thought that one she, of um just about oh my god now i feel like an <laughs> ass dude no no it's a good question but yeah that's why everyone asks it um, but so it made me think of Maslow and that's pretty fucking awesome. If you just go like biologically and let me pretend like I'm a really good biologist, like people who study marine biology, um, you, you start going survival versus reproduction. And mm -hmm. her argument totally. was like, dude, your crotch 
crotch to ass, there's stimulation. And then dudes are waking up with erections and like something's going on. You're bored. You got hours together. And I'm like, I really think that your mind just fucking hones in and maybe even takes blood from certain areas to give it to more organs of necessity. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm betting on survival. No, we're not like, we're not like plants. Like a lot of plants when they're about to die, they'll like shoot off a flower and a last ditch effort to make a baby. Yeah. yeah. We are not the same. (laughs) No, it just gets selfish. You're like, dude, I don't want my seed to reproduce. I want to survive. You just are trying to, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you'll have to uh, talk to another naked and afraid person that was paired with a gender that they're sexually attracted to. So that might be a thing as well. But, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It was just, yeah, no, your brain is in a totally different space. Gotcha. Um, well, man, what a great, how awesome is that segue? You go from like homosexual rights and then you get to tell a really cool story and all of a sudden you're in 40 degree rains and you went to Mexico, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was degree. in Mexico, but in um, Chiapas, Mexico, up in this uh, pine forest, it was at elevation, so it was cold. It did not feel like Mexico. Yeah. Well, what made you want to go on the show, man? Um, good question. <laughs> I don't know. I've as good like, as asking if you were trying to make babies. Sorry. <laughs> comfort zone and such. Um, just like trying new weird things. I think like this is kind of cliche, but absolutely true. You know, you grow the most when you're outside of your comfort zone and you're doing things that are weird and new and that terrify you. And this was certainly all of the above from everything, just being naked on TV to the cameras in your face and, you know, all of the survival skills that I learned and practiced and honed before I went out there. I don't know everything about it. It was an amazing experience. You know, it's like, literal suffering while you're out there like literally you feel like you're going like your brain is cracking and falling into pieces it's something i've never experienced before but at the same time like i I wouldn't trade it for anything you know when you're i work out on um, for my job now i work on out on really remote islands the most remote islands the most remote islands in the world by many metrics and you immediately um, strip then I don't strip. <laughs> I'm out there with like crews of biologists and stuff, but I, but I love being out there and camping and such like stuff like that. Cause they're, most of these islands are, you know, totally remote. There's no one out there for thousands of miles. And, um, you're just so in tune to, you know, the cycles of the moon and the wind and the weather mm. and things like that. And it's sort of a beautiful experience. And I think a lot of people that like camping can relate to that, but this is just like that on steroids because you're literally like naked. You have no tent to go back to. You have no food to rely on really. And every, it, like I said, it's just that turned up to the max. Like every change in the wind, every change in temperature, every little puff of cloud that goes over the sky, you are like in tune with it. You know exactly what's happening my mood, my anxiety level correlated perfectly with the cloud cover. I swear. Oh my God. After that first night of raining, like you are literally at one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because like every change in the atmosphere is like directly a hundred percent impacting you and what's going to happen to you. So how much did you like just go into the backyard and tell your husband, man, don't fucking bother me for the weekend. I'm going to be walking around naked. Don't give me shit. And I'm just going to forage. 
Like, do you prepare like that? Or are you just like putting on as much body fat as you can so that you can burn it? Oh, I prepared a lot. Like, I think, you know, I didn't come into Naked and Afraid with like a background in primitive survival or anything like that. Like a lot of people do, but, um, I quickly realized when I started practicing skills and stuff that as a biologist, you know, I have skills and as an artist too, you know, I've, I have a lot of skills making things and, um, Oh dude, that's a great fucking point. I have a very diverse skill set of like trapping different animals and stuff like that. And all of these primitive traps and snares and stuff you're making are, it's basically just making to an extent it's making, you know, metal traps and things like that, but making them out of primitive materials. Right. So once I learned the basic skills of like making cordage, which I realized I already knew and, um, and I already knew knots and everything like that and knew what, what materials to use for certain things and stuff. I don't necessarily have to know how to make a fish trap because I've already used like fish traps. I know all the concepts because I work with animals. I know how animals move and behave and stuff like that. Mm. I just have to figure out how to make it out of natural materials. Like, yeah. And then, uh, it, yeah, it's not the same as the background in primitive survival, but it's, Having a unique, diverse skill set like that like really, really comes in handy. Just knowing plants and animals and how they move and behave and all that. Well, dude, now I'm even thinking of the artist type. And like artists are fucking creative, man. Like they put visions into content, into product. So like being mm-hmm. able to see stuff. I hadn't even fucking thought about that, man. Being able to see shit and then make it into an object, especially as a sculptor. Like that mm-hmm. – that's a great point to say, man, that's a strength. Did that help your PSR? <laughs> Did they say was an avid sculptor in high school? So his PSR is 6.4. <laughs> right. They did not. <laughs> they started, I was a little disappointed with how low my PSR started, but it did a good bump. We had a good bump by the end. Wait, you actually, so you cared about the PSR? Like my daughter and I feel uh, it's completely I, fucking arbitrary. I cared about it in, to the extent that other people care about it. Gotcha. In that context, like, I don't know. It's, gotcha. It is what it is. What it's did they give you? A you... TV show, so they have to make it match a narrative. But, right. Um, oh, I don't even remember. It started off as like a four point something and oh ended at, I think, a 6.5 or 6.8. Dude, you went, you started at a four. If I was placing money, if you're under a four, eight, I'm like, yeah, they're tapping. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, man. They gave you like very little credit. I know, but I think I did good. <laughs> did all right. Yeah, I mean, you made it through the twenty-one days, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Made it, well, I made it the whole time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then whatever. Yep. Oh wait, was it a fan challenge of fourteen, or was it twenty-one? Yeah, yeah, it was the fourteen. Oh, okay, dude. But still, stay tuned. I might be on again. You'll see. Oh, <laughs> very nice. Man, I know I really wanted to do the 21, but they were like, no, no, you got to do this first. And I was like, oh, fine. Yeah. Like, I wonder, do you think it's because like a safety issue of dude, we just don't want people without proven track records to uh, health wise risk no. kind of a thing. Or you, you think it's Not just where really. they were producing at the time. They were like, Hey dude, we're just doing 14 day clips. Hop on board. Let's roll. They... Yeah, I can't. I can't speak too much to it. Right. Um, in part, though, the, they let these fan episodes because pe- the people are more relatable. 
Uh, they, so they find and they, they get good ratings for them. Gotcha. Yeah. But, but I talked to, I, I was like kind of bummed about it and I wanted to do 21 instead of 14. And I talked to uh, another girl, uh, Gabrielle Bellison, probably, or Gabby. If, uh, your daughter might know her. She watches a lot. Yeah, all you but, naked, um, dirty people just blend in at this point when you binge right. watch for like eight <laughs> hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she was on the um, one of the last XLs. She she's great, but um, she did the fourteen day and then did a twenty one. And she was like, "Yeah," and her skills were through the roof. She was like, "Yeah, we were in the same boat. I was kind of bummed about doing a fourteen, but." Look at it this way. They just want to have you back to be able to do another episode when everyone else just does a 21 and you never get seen again. Uh, it's like, oh, okay, that's a good point. Look at it like that. Yeah, because they're kind of building that like audience or that market, man. So the people that like, we'll, we'll see the 14 and then all of a sudden we see a commercial with fucking Dan and we're like, yo, I'm in. Want to see how my <laughs> man reacts. Yep. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Because there's like, at this point, there's three basic things like the 14 day one which is the quote-unquote fan challenge and then the regular 21 and then there's the naked and afraid xl which is 40 days yeah that it seems like they're going a little more survivor with that though right like where they're trying to i guess i don't want you to comment because i don't want you to like be on the record saying anything that people are going to screw with you with but for me it seems almost survivor-ish at least the commercials where like you're trying to do these tried things and my daughter's actually excited to watch that one as well because she's like, ooh, it seems dramatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. It's a, yeah, it's it's a little different, a little more like that. At its base, it's still the same. You know, you're you're out there with naked and with a couple tools and stuff like that. But um, but uh, and you're they start you off in small groups, but the small groups sort of eventually come together and meet up, and it starts with twelve people total. Right. Ends with you know however many make it through. Dude, but, I, um, I got to know. I don't know. It, it's no, pretty cool. I, I'm excited to do. I hope I get to do a XL one day. Ironically, like it's for me, it's way less. It gives me way less anxiety to think about doing a 40 day challenge with 12 other people than it does to do like, especially when I do 21 days alone. I feel like I'm going oh. nuts. Oh, dude. For, like, I don't know how fucking people do 21 days in isolation. I have no idea. Or if the partner taps like on, like, dude, we feel so bad for people when the partner taps on day two. Mm-hmm. I know it's nuts. <laughs> my, my partner was, she cut her hand and she was getting a really, really bad infection from it. And I was sure she was going to leave. And I only had like five days, four or five days left at that point. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, like the thought of just being out here alone it wasn't too bad but just you, like i said your your mind feels like i i can't even i still can't even put it into words it's like you just feel yourself losing sanity <laughs> not to be too dramatic but no you literally do like you're sleep deprived you haven't eaten in two weeks you're just like falling apart you're eaten by bugs just so constantly uncomfortable and you feel your head like your brain like breaking apart and your head going into these like weird darks. I don't know. Dark isn't the right word, but like weird unhealthy spaces. And like, it takes effort to pull yourself out of it. And like the easiest thing to do that is to talk to your partner or like talk to another person. 
unhealthy in what ways? Like depressive, suicidal type shit you're having to be no, back? No, not like not like that dark. Just like I like I said, I can't even put I can't even articulate it. Like just not sane. Eh. Like I didn't act crazy on the show. Like it didn't it didn't get that far, but like I'll be the judge it, of that, Dan. Okay. <laughs> you can be the judge of that. <laughs> but um I don't know. I don't know. Like rocks are talking to you? Dude, Jesus, I'm so interested. Like, so when I hear unhealthy and I think of I'm starving, I'm naked, I'm cold, like I think of I'm gonna fucking hurt myself and end this or I'm no, gonna No, yeah, that's why that's so, why like dark and unhealthy are not the right words. I don't mean like in any way of like doing harm to myself or right? others. It's just like No, yeah, but that's why I'm like like you're just like loop like I don't know, like is loopy the right word? I guess I wanna know loopy's like loopy's a better word, yeah. Loopy's a better word. But like you're just giggling at ants, like you think ants are talking to you and telling jokes? Or you think like an armadillo is mocking you? Or I guess armadillo would be wrong. A chameleon's no, like mocking you? It's closer to depression, I guess, than anything. Uh, it's not really depression, but it, it, yeah, it's not really depression because you're not just like laying there, not wanting to move or get out of your shelter or anything. But I don't know. I I know I'm not describing it very well, but I, I still have trouble articulating it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, it's to me, I think like it would be really hard to articulate something that you experience once and there's not like a reference point for like metaphorically. Or to make an analogy yeah. with, do you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah, that's me, a great, yeah, that's a great way of putting it, dude. Like, I, I've, I've, like, I, if I skip a meal, I'm fucking hangry. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, it's, I've never not eaten for a full day unless I have the flu, and then like sickness yeah. is taking over your body, right? So like, you don't, you're suffering, but in a sick way. You're not suffering in a, I'm healthy, but I'm suffering way. So I, yeah. I think it's super hard, and that's why I'm so curious because it is super hard to relate as much as you want to be empathetic, you look at the TV and you're like, man, quit being a little punk, man. Yeah, they're just it's all like the number one thing you hear from other survivalists that have done the challenge. You'll hear them over and over and over again. Say it's all mental. And if yeah. you watch the show, like it, it comes through. If you watch a lot of the different episodes, you'll see people going out there that have huge, extensive backgrounds in primitive survival, know all this bushcraft stuff, blah, 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 have all these skills. And, but they get out there and just like can't handle the mental aspects of it and like go crazy and end up tapping at day five or something like that or less. Yeah. But then on the other hand, there's, there's people that go out there that have barely any skills and just like end up getting stuck alone and just rock it. Like they're in, in like a basically pile of leaves, like the shelter is terrible. They're in the rain. Right. And they're able to just like pull themselves through it. Yeah, they got really all about your mental strength and ability to like keep your head in a healthy spot. Yeah, for sure. Or in my head, I'm like, they got enough like fuck you in them. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) To just stick it out. Me, I'm just stubborn as hell. Yeah. When I went into the challenge, like I didn't want to be one of those cocky people to like go on. I never said that to the camera. I was never like, I'm never gonna quit. Blah blah blah. See, that's why you got a four, man, dude. That's why you got a four. Stubborn, I am. Like, I will be dying but I won't be able to just say the words, okay, I'm tapping. Right. And that's what made, that's actually what made me nervous. I was like, I know I'm, you know, I really don't think I'm going to tap, but I really just don't want to fucking suffer the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, what was your strategy? So your partner has an injured hand in your head. Were you aware enough to start getting a strategy of like, how the fuck am I going to deal with being alone for five days? 
Like, were you thinking of making dolls or animals or anything like that? <laughs> like capturing a turtle and just being like, you are my new friend <laughs> or no. <laughs> kind of. I was just trying not to think about it, concentrating on like doing things to help her get better. Yeah. Luckily, she luckily healed up a bit and she was able to pull through, but what do you what do you think you would have done? Would you would you have just done a hell of a lot more of those like diary cams and just yes, talk to yourself exactly. all the time? <laughs> exactly. I would have talked to the diary cam the entire time. They would have hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I already have enough footage to sort through. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, those poor fucking editors, man. Jesus, that uh-huh. must be fucking hours and hours. Oh my god. Yeah, there's cameras. I mean, you see all the different cameras they put on you. There's infrared cameras at night and all the, there's multiple cameramen during the day, just in GoPros and stuff, just like rolling 24 seven and all of that footage they have to sort through. It's, it's insane. Is there something, is there, so and again, I haven't watched the episode. I actually, I think if it's on demand, cause you, um, Cinco de Mayo, it came out, right? Yeah. Did, did yeah. I get that right on your Instagram stalking or my Instagram yep. stalking of you? Yep. So I just need that to scroll two more down to see you making out with your husband in the gay pride parade. I'm so upset. Yes. I'm so upset. Then I would have been more, <laughs> more prepared. Um, so can you give me something again, me not having seen the episode at all where like you want not explain something, but just something fucking cool where I can get a dad brag to my daughter and be like, Hey, when this was going on, really, it was this. Oh, let me think, you know, I'm, they, I've heard from other people weren't too, like, they thought some of the things they did weren't portrayed right and stuff like that, but they portrayed us pretty well. Um, as far as that goes, though, I don't know. No? Well, oh, oh, man, well, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm there's just back point, to being the uncool dad, Dan. Jesus, come on, man. There's one point where I get lost, and um, <laughs> I was... I have a terrible sense of direction. <laughs> terrible, terrible sense of direction. But we're out there, like, given that the environment absolutely did not help. It was just these, it was out there with these cenotes, which are like collapsed limestone sinkholes. And, and there was barely any flat ground. It was just hills that were all almost exactly the same size. Just these tiny hills all smacked on top of each other. And there was like, but other than that, like if you pulled out with a drone or something like that, the land far, far away from a plane, the land looked flat. It was just hills. They were all the same size and like little gulches and valleys and stuff like that and thick, thick, thick forest with no trails or anything through it. Okay. I've never been in an environment so easy to get locked in in my life. But I went out exploring one day and of course it just happened to be the day that the first storm was coming in. Oh, and, no. Um, so it got cloudy. I couldn't tell. I couldn't even barely see the sky, but I couldn't tell where the sun was. And I got so turned around, like almost immediately. But I'm out there just like naked. And there's this film crew behind me <laughs> with like like cameras and like boom mics and all this different stuff. And it's just thick vegetated forest and cliffs that I'm scaling and stuff like that. And it was hilarious. The whole film crew is like trying to follow and they're like, I'm, you know, naked and have nothing. So I'm agile, just like crawling through things and <laughs> wasn't any thorns in that area. I'm moving fast. And they're all like huffing behind me, like, wait, wait, <laughs> slow down for us. And I'm like, I'm not slowing down. I need to find out where I am. <laughs> but it went, it went a good, like, I was out there for a good three and a half, four hours, just lost. And they kept asking me, do you know where you are? And I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, you I didn't even I own it? You you weren't like, no, can you help me out? Like, you don't have no, to tell me. No, they just were going to help me out. They were just going to, like, make a story about how I was lost. And I was like, no, uh, I know where I am. I'm just, you know, looking for fruit. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. So you were actually, like, aware enough to be like, dude, I'm not going to be the motherfucker that, like, gets made as like the dude with no direction <laughs> yeah but eventually i couldn't hide it anymore and they're like no you're fucking lost <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome god did you did you have like an ideal partner in mind like how awkward is that meeting or are you just like i mean i i feel like you laugh at my corny jokes. I feel like I haven't offended you yet. You seem very no. easy to hang with. Like, are you just like, dude, I get along with whoever. So I didn't care who my partner was going to be. Or were you like, please don't give me a blank. The, I, I was really happy with my partner. I love Holly. We still talk and hang out a lot when we can. But, um, the, the only thing I didn't want in a partner was someone that, Someone that just wasn't easy to talk to and get along. I just wanted someone uh, that was like, even if they had zero skills, someone that was just easy to work with and that I could like laugh and talk to would be fine as long as they like still had a good work ethic and could help out. Gotcha. And Holly was totally that. We, we got along great. Dude, that makes so much. Going back together to- well and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going with what you said about the mental, right? Like you're suffering enough on your own, man. And just to be able to fucking vibe with somebody and go through it. Yeah. Can like just... you could be out there with someone with all the skills in the world, but if they're like not easy to talk to, if you just hate them, that's going to like, that just adds a whole new souring mental aspect to the, this already insane challenge. It just yeah. dampers everything. Yeah, no doubt. That's so, dude, that's awesome that you were able to vibe with her. Yeah. Yeah, I got lucky. Right. And dude, so I'm still like blown away. Like what was your, did you kind of train, train at all for this thing? Like, are you YouTubing like DIY survival videos? Did you go somewhere to prepare or you just said, fuck it. If they pick me when they fly me there, that'll be all I need. I I totally did. I totally did. I made sure I was up on, and I've like, I've done bushcraft and other survival things too. It's not just biology, but, um, but yeah, I, I honed in a lot of things. I learned like snares and different traps and like a few new knots and stuff like that that were uh, like in shelter building too. I didn't have much experience shelter building or uh, really making friction fires. So I, I brushed up on all of that and really tried to aim at the concepts. And cause like I said, if, if you're creative and you know, you know what you want to get and you're like have the ability to just put the tools together and the little things you know how to do in your mind into making something brand new you've never done or made before. Right. If you know all those little concepts and are able to do that, then, then to an extent you're set. So So I really just like honed in on different, different sources of like making cordage and, um, you know, like basic snares and traps and knots and things like that. Like I've never made a damn net out of, I, I made a net is like one of the most useful tools I made out there that they showed, um, to catch frogs with and it was like not any fancy like snare or people were talking about making these little frog trap boxes where they like sit on it and fall through like i don't know whatever i know how to catch frogs with a net like down by a river like that's what i grew up doing so it's like <laughs> let me just make a butterfly net so i did it and i ended up catching a whole bunch of frogs for us to eat by the end <laughs> so that was the most unique dude that's like 
I don't know, man. I'm, I'm thinking like I really enjoy food and seasoning. So you get a net full of frogs and you're just so fucking hungry. You're like, I don't even care. I'm just <laughs> basically I'm, or you're or like, is there a little part of you that's still like civilized and you're like, oh, my God, it's so dirty. What do I do or no? No, not really. <laughs> that went away pretty fast. Got you. We're frogs. I think mostly, mostly it's me, like in regular life, trying to be civilized around others. To be honest, so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great dude. I like that. That's a great point. I'm just trying to be civilized around others. Not <laughs> <laughs> there, you have to be uncivilized. So whatever. Were frogs the weirdest thing you had to eat, or were there some other? Like, did you grab like a worm? Uh, or no, not grubs? at all. We we like really. They showed almost everything we ate. Like a lot of times just for just for time's sake, because you're out there for, you know, twenty-one days and they two different people and then they have to boil it down to like forty minutes or something like that. Right. So a lot just inevitably gets cut out. And a lot of times like things people ate, stuff get left out of episodes, but they really showed almost everything we ate. Which was barely anything. <laughs> yeah. Our site was rough and it was freezing, but there was um there was like zero food. Even those frogs, they were tiny and they, it was good. It was a nice gesture to our stomach, but there was barely any meat on those legs. And we would eat some snails, but we'd find like one or two apple snails a day and we'd each have one for dinner. And this inside of this sawgrass that was growing around there, you could um, eat like the inside of the bottom of it, a small, like, I don't know, six to eight inch section. And, um, we would like, I would harvest it. We'd like roast it over the fire and pretend like it was a meal, but we would each be eating like six of them and it would, we would lose a pint of blood to get them because we'd just be sliced up. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably had about a half a calorie each, literally. It was just like this flavorless thing that you were able to chew. Like cows, just fucking yeah. on grass. But we, to be honest, the we ate like snails and I caught some like these really strange water bugs that had these like crab meat like thing in the inside, but the grossest thing we ate, which doesn't sound like it, but the grossest thing we ate were these little tiny fish. We were on this little lagoon and there were these little tiny fish that were like an inch long that, um, I, I made like a fish hook out of wood and string. And I saw this larger bass in the water. There was one or two in the whole lagoon that we would see every once in a while, but the water just got so deep so quick. We couldn't catch them, but I made a fish hook and would throw it in there and, these little fish, there were swarms of them, would come up and just devour anything on the hook in an instant, oh, like wow. in a second. So it would be like you, you couldn't fish because these little things just would erase your bait in two seconds flat. Right. But we could catch these little fish. And um, so we had a mosquito net and the net I made and other oh, things. Yeah. We could catch these little fish. But again, they're like an inch long and they tasted like diarrhea. Like they tasted <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> disgusting of all the gross things we ate these were the worst because we were like we have this supply of protein but like i would try to swallow them raw but i would get like six of them down and then start gagging and then like we tried steaming them once which was the worst like steaming just turned them into like a mushy pile of gross mess Mm. and then like if you put them over the fire like on a rock next to the fire you could sort of get them crispy and chew them but they're like guts would pop out in your mouth and I don't know. It was still like, you'd get like five or six of these tiny, tiny things down and start gagging. 
we never found a way to eat those things. <laughs> dude, that's got to be so fucking frustrating. You're like, dude, oh, I, I'm terrible. hungry. Like these are like basically potato chips just waiting yeah. for me. And then they're just horrible. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> Did, so, and I, like, again, like I keep trying to think like, what would I do? Did you go around and just eat all sorts of weird shit before you got on the show to see how you would react? Or you were just like, fuck it, man, I'm going to find out what I'm about when I get there. Kind of. I mean, you, you can't do too much because you have no idea what environment you're going to be placed in. Like, uh, I knew I was going to Mexico a little bit before, but I didn't know. Like, Chiapas, Mexico, when you see the episode, it's just, it's a pine forest. Like, it's unlike any environment I've ever been in. The animals are totally different. Like, I, I did some research on, you know, I've gone fishing and a tiny bit of hunting and stuff like that. But I, I did, like, research on basic concepts again. I was like, what organs can I not eat? Like, what do I need to avoid in all these different uh, animals? Got you. And things like that. So I, I made sure I knew, like, I wasn't going to eat some poisonous gland or something like that. Gotcha. And I, I went around, like, I went in the river down by my house and, like, ate some snails and stuff like that. But <laughs> I don't know. I, could, I, I was confident in the fact that I would eat what I had to. So I, I didn't need to go around trying too many weird things. But... Like I said, there was just no food out there. They didn't show this on the episode, but I'm surprised they didn't because I thought it was hilarious. But uh, Holly was walking out one day and like went a little bit away from our camp and found this fleshy orange thing. Okay. And it was like these big, bulbous, fleshy orange thing. And I live out here in the tropics, and it looks like a lot of tropical fruits like noni and other things like sort of resemble this. But this was like weird powdery orange and fleshy. And we were in a forest that's, like, extremely non-diverse. It's just these uh, just these pine trees and these other, like, maple-relative trees. And um, I was like, take me to where you found this. And we went, and there's no other trees around but pine trees. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> and we took it back, and I was, like, trying to eat this thing for maybe four or five days. I was trying to figure out a way to eat it. But I had learned – another thing I learned for the show was, like, different steps to determine if something is edible rather than just swallowing it and seeing what happens. Oh shit. It's Dude, like, I, yeah. What uh, are those? Save my life. Like, Save someone's uh, life right now, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to articulate this back perfectly. I'll have to brush up on it, but it's something like taking it, rubbing it on your skin and waiting a half an hour and see what happens. And then, um, like rubbing it on your lips, waiting, see what happens. Then like, nibbling a little bit of it and spitting it out and see what happens. And then like, if, if all of those pass the test, then like swallowing a little bit and see what happens, then eating a little bit more and like steps like that. Basically. Jesus. Dude, Just that's so you fucking... don't immediately like poison yourself yeah. terribly or something. Dude, I'm so thinking I started if you're... doing those steps and it never got past like the nibbling it in my mouth and spitting it out would like make my mouth like go numb sort of. <laughs> but there's a lot of things you can eat if you like, have like silica crystals and stuff like that like uh taro out here in hawaii is like that you need to like cook it to a certain extent and um, a lot of the leaves need to cook it because they have silica crystals in it and um and it makes it edible so i was like okay maybe i can cook this and i don't know i spent days trying to cook this weird orange blob not knowing what it was <laughs> it turned out we did research when we got back it turned out it was some sort of diseased pine cone <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I'm a biologist, and all my life I would think I could identify a pine cone. This looks nothing like a pine cone. <laughs> it's like all fleshy and squishy and juicy. So strange. Dude, that's 
That's got to be so. I like the whole time you're saying that. I'm like, dude, that is one hell of a methodical method to determine if something is edible if you're fucking starving. It was like sitting there staring at me. It was like this big juicy apple I couldn't eat. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Except it was this orange globular thing. It was a fucking pine cone. God, that's awesome. Oh man, do you have time? And I didn't ask you this beforehand because again, I'm a pretty bad podcast host, as evidenced by me messaging you two hours before to confirm. But do you have time to tell me about the Peace Corps? Because I think, like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, how much fucking adventure do you need in your life before you turn 30, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I can talk about the Peace Corps a little bit. Oh, man, perfect. So, and I forgot where you went? I went to um, Nicaragua. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, Central so America. what made you want to go Peace Corps? Peace Corps something i've always wanted to do it's like sort of a romantic ideal in my head because i mean i've been like lucky and privileged enough when i was younger i had a few opportunities and and in college too i had some opportunities to go out and uh, you know travel different places and get some work in like bermuda and the bahamas and i went to australia for a couple weeks once and i'd seen other other cultures and stuff but i had um oh and at that time like been to hawaii a few times and I experienced these other cultures and stuff, but I'd never like been a part of a culture that was totally radically different than my own Mm. and, um, or learned a different language or anything like that. And I don't know that idea really, uh, really stuck with me because in the Peace Corps, you know, you're not just like passing through You're you do, uh, what's typical at least is you're out there for two years and three months. And, um, what we did is we had, three months of training where they taught us like some cultural training, but mostly language training and Spanish and um, job trainings. I was, I was an environmental Peace Corps does all different kinds of things from health and teaching English and other languages and, um, and um, environmental work and science. And I'd ended up doing environmental education. So I taught science was my main job, but um, they had us do training for three months and then they put split everyone up. And you go out to your own site, as they call it, your own little city or town or village or whatever it is, and live there for the rest of the two years doing projects and being part of the community. So in my community, there was like, there was a lot of volunteers in Nicaragua. It was like 140 or something. And I was in the second smallest site. Nice. It's just a couple hundred people. And, um, but it was like part of the local government. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. I was like a legitimate part of the town. It took a couple months for them to stop like coming out of their house and staring at the white person walking down the street. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it was an amazing experience. It was a it was a rough place to live for two years, man. It was not some. I don't know if they put me there because they thought I could handle it or what. But even like the heads of the Peace Corps were like whispering, "I'm sorry." <laughs> when I got placed there, what do you mean, like get, naked and afraid? Your site placement day, and everyone like wants to be like by the ocean, or like I don't know. Everyone has their own preferences, but I got this again. It was the second smallest site in rural Nicaragua, but it was not some quaint mountain town. It was in this desert at the foothills of the mountains, and it was basically just a series of shacks along the Pan American Highway, and it's just like a dust bowl. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> It was like this big truck stop dust hole. And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> but okay. 
Holy but, fuck, um, dude. I'm thinking of like those desolate gas stations on the way from like Vegas to, or from like Los Angeles to Vegas. Basically, picture that except there was like really nothing. <laughs> there was like, there was one little auntie that would like sell her, sell her tostadas and stuff by the side of the road. Oh, Some man. houses. Dude, that's fucking rough. Oh, I know. It was such a, I think back to just the, the things I went through there that were normal were just like so far from reality and the rest of my life, most other people's lives. What, what felt so longer funny. two years there or 14 days naked and afraid? <laughs> two years there, two years there. <laughs> Trust me. I had a, I don't mean, I'm not trying to bash it too much. I loved my time there. Oh, I had dude. a lot of good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Town, yeah. Man, it was it was rough and lonely at times. That's for dude. That's it's got to be a fucking culture a shock. Time. Fuck yeah! And especially like a <laughs> hundred. Like I don't think people realize what 140 people are. There can be 140 people in a grocery store, and you yep. can feel alone. Do you know what I'm saying? Like your Costco's probably got a fucking 500 people in there right now. They're completely yeah, way more. Yeah, so yep. 140 in a town. Um, what do you mean abnormal stuff? Or what? What was like so? Shocking again, not like shit talking or anything, but just like culturally, you're like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> I was, like I said, I was in a smaller place, and I had like some other pe- friends in the Peace Corps that, you know, everyone goes through weird things, but they were in cities and stuff, so they didn't experience the same things. But I had one friend come over one day, and uh, my neighbor's dog. People don't treat their pets the same way. It's a cultural thing out there, uh, for the right. most part, at least. But, um, and most of the dogs are, you know, abused to an extent and very, very mean and aggressive. And, but my neighbor had this Rottweiler mix, this mutt kind of thing, which is actually, for whatever reason, it was like the nicest, kindest dog, this female <laughs> dog. And people also do not fix their animals there. Oh my God. I've had so, dogs yeah. all my life, but I've never seen, you know, this many non-fixed animals. But anyway, setting up some background, but anyway, my <laughs> neighbor's dog, like, it was my friend. It would come over into my like little concrete hut and like hang out with me. And it was like, just cover, I'd pick ticks off of it and we'd sit there and like watch movies on my computer and hang out like all the time. It was the one dog that I liked, but whenever it was in heat, all these other dogs, there's even like this weird little Pekingese thing out there. I don't know how that got to Nicaragua, but mostly just like these crazy mangy mutts. There'd be literally like 15, 20 of them. I'd have this dog in my house to protect it from getting game raped. <laughs> and there'd be 15, 20 male dogs just like circling my house, growling and yipping, like trying to get in for like three days straight. And I'd keep like my doors locked. And, um, but it was just like normal. This is what happened. It was that time of the month. <laughs> and they'd literally be circling my house. Like everyone else just like kicks the dogs out and lets them do their thing and get gang raped outside. Yeah, but I had a friend come visit me. And they were like trying to get through. And I was like, just, just get through them. They're not, the dogs aren't here for you. They're not going to hurt you. Just walk through. And they were like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, they're trying to gang rape my dog. It's just, it's normal. Come on. <laughs> we need to lock the doors. It'll sneak in. <laughs> I don't want to have to break it up again. <laughs> but things like that. And then like, I actually, this happened the same day, like a, a glass broke in my house and there's no trash pickup. And like, I didn't want to, you can't just like throw it out and, or, and I didn't want to just toss it somewhere. And like, like literally the best thing to do if you broke a glass was to go into the street and dig a hole and bury it in the road. Oh, <laughs> Like did things like that. I don't know. It's just, everything you did was totally different than normal life. 
and it was pretty funny. <laughs> fucking no doubt. Scorpions dude. everywhere. Oh I had my God. my uh, one of the advisors from the Peace Corps that came to observe you like twice while you were out there, and um, one time they came and there were just scorpions everywhere, 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 all over the place. And I taught these multi-grade classes. So I taught first through or preschool through sixth grade all in one room, teaching them. And I was had to teach them a strict criteria, a strict curriculum. And um, but all different subjects at the same time, which is literally impossible. Oh, yeah. Like literally impossible. I did my best, but kids would constantly get distracted. But anyway, my uh, advisor came and she was observing me teach this class. Like twenty kids, like three or three or four in each grade, roughly. Um, but while I was teaching, a couple of the kids went out and they found these scorpions, and I, I didn't even notice they were gone. And they came back in, and my <laughs> advisor is sitting at this children's desk. Like she was a bigger woman, and she's in this children's desk where, like, the desk part is attached to it, oh. attached to the seat. You know? Oh, please tell you me can't this really happens. get up very easy. Please tell me this happens. I, I'm so oh, I'm picturing it already. They, they were nice to her. They had. Um, they had cut the stingers off of these big scorpions, but they like dropped them on. And this is a Nicaraguan woman, but she's like well off, lives in the city, far away from this kind of stuff. Right. And they dropped them on the desk. <laughs> she like lost her mind, tried to like get up. I swear she bent that desk in half, like trying to run out of the classroom. Oh, shit. <laughs> and at first I was like, God damn kids. And then I was like, no, nope, glad now she sees what I go through <laughs> every day. Dude, what are they? Are the kids just like knuckleheads that are like fucking with people? They're like, but there are no scorpion or there's no stinger or like. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we cut the stingers off. And I was like, fair <laughs> enough. They were harmless. <laughs> and at the same time, they're like, dumb city bitch. She yeah. should have known. She should have seen you're that there like were no stingers. like third graders out there wrangling scorpions with their bare hands. Like. <laughs> oh my God, dude. That is fucking awesome. That like, so. Does it piss you off or do you fucking, you have to, at the same time of being like almost professionally embarrassed, then when like you talk to them, you have to be fucking cracking up at the visuals. Oh, I was cracking up. Yeah. I don't even think I can hold it, hold it back at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. That's so fucking authentic. I would yell at them in English sometimes. Just I would get a kick out of yelling at them in English because you know how like, You've seen like movies and stuff where there's just like this angry Latin teacher and she starts screaming at people in Spanish and everyone laughs. Yeah. And I would like get angry and start yelling in English and then they would laugh at me because I'm like the crazy person yelling in a foreign language and then I would start laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Just to get it out, right? Like, goddamn kids, you fucking bastards. Come on. (laughs) Like, haha, gringo. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it's a challenge. So were they looking to be taught and educated this science or the Peace Corps is just kind of like forcing this shit on them? Um, no. I, so I was like – I was working with uh, local teachers a lot. So a lot of it was like co-teaching and stuff like that. Okay. But um, especially in these – you know, when it's multi-grade preschool to sixth grade, like seven different things at the same time, like yeah. you end up just either teaching all of it or half of the grades at once. So, so yeah, they they were pretty open to it but – it, it was difficult because, and this is no fault to the, the teachers I worked with great out there, no fault of theirs, but as you can imagine, when you're in a rural area like that and they just have one teacher, again, it was a whole town, like 20-something kids or what encompasses all of those grades. 
So that's why they do it. But you can't teach seven different subjects at once. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah. So their quality of education was just, was very poor because of that. And we'd be told that we had to teach like cell biology and, you know, about the anatomy of a tree and stuff like that. And it'd be like, maybe let's start with spelling <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll get there. We'll get to the Zion phone like next week and we'll start with spelling today. Yeah. Right. Like why don't, why wouldn't you start with just basic literate literacy yeah, well, so that yeah, you can was, almost become a self-sustained like the education. They were told they had to teach in certain things at certain times. Gotcha. It didn't always work out, but God. we did our best to get around that and supplement teaching when we could. Yeah, right. Is it yeah. like a normal work day? Are you doing eight hours, then you're just hanging out for the rest, like finding your own shit? Or you have like second projects that you're working on? Yeah, yeah. So I worked in a few different classrooms and would go like a couple days a week in each. Um, but I worked at least eight hours a day. But I had all kinds of different projects going on. Like I made a playground out of recycled materials in one of the communities and did a reforestation project and a couple different things. But yeah, I had a lot of other secondary environmentally related projects going on like and they don't give like they don't give peace corps i give peace corps a lot of credit for this even though it's really frustrating at the time they give you barely any money they give you just enough money to survive and then they give you a lot of resources to like get grants and stuff like that but you have to have community involvement have community members part of it and stuff like that so it's not just like you know people from the states going and just giving things and building things for people it's you know, basically giving people the tools that they need to, to, you know, further build up their own communities. Gotcha. Yeah. And by the end, are you still the gringo or are you just like every, all the kids are crying. They're just giving you all sorts of gifts when you're leaving and shit like that. Both. <laughs> oh, no way. You... Uh, I'll always be the gringo. I can't get that. <laughs> I can't get past that one. <laughs> I'd be in, I'd be in class and the kids like swear to God second year after I was there the kids would be there and gringo and it'd be like KS me not right what's my name <laughs> like, um like Daniel profe <laughs> my name is not gringo <laughs> you know who I am I've been here for two years <laughs> like, oh okay those kind of kids are the best the fucking absolute <laughs> best. Those kind of kids are so endearing. Uh -huh. where they're just like, I'm going to fuck with you till the very end, man. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, and so why didn't you get into teaching then? You just like this more <laughs> science? <laughs> or it made me want to go far away from teaching. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know. I just don't have the patience for it. I loved it and I loved the kids. And I, I sort of had like a unique situation. You know, there's like the whole... Um, I don't know, Ministry of Education and the curriculum and all those problems to deal with and um, I don't know, the whole multi-grade. So there, there was a lot of challenges and made it extremely stressful, but I don't know. I, and I did my best and I think I left it much better, but just not as passionate about teaching as I am other things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. again, I don't know how much that that is due to the specific circumstances I was in or what. But yeah, right. Yeah. I was like, I still like science better. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like you motherfuckers got to figure out what the science teacher should be teaching. Like someone needs to provide the information to teach. Right. So it's right. just as valuable. It's, yeah. um, but I was fine. I was wondering if like the love of the kids like crept into your heart and you're just like, Oh my God, I can change if I have my little classroom or if like it was <laughs> that traumatic where you're like, Nope, never no, again. No, 
<laughs> like I said, I love the kids. And some people, like, some people, I, the other Peace Corps volunteers and stuff did stay and do similar things in education. But I was like, this was fun, but I'm going to go back to being a scientist. Gotcha. <laughs> did you actually get to have, like, a bestie that you were hanging with there? Or did you feel pretty isolated the whole time? Yeah, yeah. I had some good friends in my town. Nice. Yeah, a couple people. Okay. In my in my first town, when you're in there for the three months of training, um, they assign you with the host family for the first three months, and then you go out and you know live in a community somewhere else after that. But the first host family I with I was with, I had like a host cousin and a younger brother, and they were like I don't know four years younger than me, three years younger than me. But okay. they were like the benditos of the town, which I didn't, I was brand new and didn't really realize that at first, <laughs> but I was like hanging out with the riffraff, which was fine. They were great, but they liked to drink a lot and they kept like, they would take me out to do things. Like one day they woke me up at like five o'clock in the morning and they're like, Danielle, come on. And I was like, where are we going? And they just said, El Bosque, like the forest. So I was like, okay, fine. And we like went out and we met up with like eight other people and they all like started drinking rum and we were walking into the forest for two hours and finally got to this big farm full of cows. And I was like, what are we doing? And they were like, oh, we're going to ride the cows. And I was like, why didn't you tell me that two hours ago? <laughs> and then they were like, Danielle, get on. And I was like, no, I'm not going to get on the cow. Like, we're not going to play kill the gringo. You get on the cow. And he's like, okay, if I get on, will you? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> And he, like, got on this cow and started, like, of course, it, like, fucked him off after, like, I don't know, 10 seconds. And he's like, okay, your turn. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a good story. I'll tell this one day on a podcast. <laughs> it's like, fine. But I got on. And there's a, I think it's actually, if you scroll way down in my Instagram, in the beginning of Peace Corps, there's a photo of this. But um, I was, like, got on this poor little cow. It, but it immediately, like five seconds in, bucked me off, and I flew up in the air and landed on the ground on a pile of cow shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's some. There's a picture of me in like a gray shirt on a cow, looking terrified, with a bunch of like drunk Nicaraguans standing around me screaming <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> but they got me into stuff like that every single day. Oh God, I don't know what would happen if I lived there for two years. Yeah, you're definitely not the quality educator. <laughs> 5 a.m. No. sessions for cow riding. Holy shit. Right? Dude, that's awesome. So like they're the banditos because like some farmers pissed that their cow might get hurt because these fucking they, town folk. Just in general, they like like to go around and I don't know, like to drink a lot. and I don't know. Not, nothing really harmful. They weren't like yeah. out stealing or anything. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Just annoying. And they like to like weed in Nicaragua is a really taboo thing. I think people, people associate it with most people at least associate it with kind of like how people viewed marijuana a long time ago. They see it as extremely dangerous and that it's going to like a gateway drug and this and that. Oh. Like, and they like my friends in my first town smoked a little bit and I, I didn't realize how taboo of a thing it was. But I, in my second town, the small rural one, I like I would co-plan classes with teachers a lot. And I remember we were talking about drugs one day, and I was co-planning a class with my this other teacher. And she goes, Danielle, and she points at this marijuana leaf, and she goes, "Never try this. If you try this, you start raping and killing." <laughs> and I was like, "In serio? <laughs> Are you serious? I will never." <laughs> 
thank you for telling me. <laughs> and then you go into the forest and grab your own bud and light up just the de-stress from like, yeah, that bitch is way too serious. <laughs> oh my God, dude. I and did. then we walk into the classroom and of course she's saying that to the children immediately. And I'm like, well, let's, maybe let's talk about heroin instead. <laughs> I should have said oh, Shit. Have we heard of cocaine? Yeah. I'm just, yes. I just, I just want to go a little harder to keep them away from that. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe actually does have some holistic properties that could benefit children with anxiety, depression, or pain, mm. but no. You start raping and killing. First hit. The worst. Primero. Primero fumar is local. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I was like, I can't even have a conversation. I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> It's not worth it. Dude, yeah, right? Like, yeah, what are you – yeah, you can't make them feel like shit for propagating that no. like weird – what, like Fox science. Like, no, there's, yeah. there's nothing you're changing about that. Mm-mm. Is that like a like a religious thing with them or is that just like the government, like our CDC kind of a thing? Like why are they thinking uh, that way? I think more like, like a cultural thing. Like they didn't have any problem drinking. They love rum. God, at least it. That depends on religion a little bit, but um, evangelicals not so much. But most people in Nicaragua love rum and drinking, and that's way more harmful. Yeah, I know. Like that's what I'm thinking. And then I'm thinking like if you're trying to grow shit, like it's got to be easier to grow weed than get rum, right? Like I don't know. It's called weed for a reason. Shit can sprout. Mm -hmm. So you had brought it up earlier as like something you were kind of um, not apprehensive about, but thoughtful about. Um, did the homosexuality, like, did that get breached at any point while you were there? Or you just, like, you were just straight Dan? Or you're just I, you? Yeah, I was. Is that, am I, I asking was, that like a I dick? Like, I'm sorry. I went I back and forth on it a lot. I was, I was quote unquote straight. And like a friend of mine in the Peace Corps was like my quote unquote girlfriend. <laughs> oh no fucking she way still laugh about. but um but i went back and forth on that a lot because i was like constantly and i asked a lot of people for advice on it and like never got really a straight a good response because you know i was, I was involved in like the gay rights movement and all kinds of stuff and i'm like out here in the u.s like encouraging people to come out of their closet saying what i was just talking about earlier like you just need to be out and be yourself to the extent possible like People will come around. They just need to be exposed to this and see that it's normal. And then I was like a total thinking I was a total hypocrite when I was out there. Cause I was like, fuck, I'm just like hiding who I am and um, not talking about it and like making up a girlfriend and all this stuff. But at the same time, I'm, I was out there for a relatively short period of time in the grand scheme of things, two years. And your reputation is so important out there, especially, mm. you know, in a town like that, your personal life is every, everyone knows your personal life. There's no barrier between your personal and your work and professional life. And I really needed in order to be successful in my job. And they really pounded that into you in the Peace Corps. I really needed to be respected in my community mm. and, um, had to be someone that, you know, people listened to and that they liked and wanted to talk to. And, um, and if I told everyone, I was gay. I don't, that wouldn't have been so easy. There was like one other gay guy in the town who was also the only other person named Danielle. 
Oh, shit. <laughs> and he was like flaming. And he was, he was like one of the smartest people in the town. And he had stuff going on. But people like talked behind his back and said nasty things all the time. People did not respect him very much, regardless of like what, how intelligent and smart he was. Right. So it was like, yeah, it was a really difficult trade off to make there. I was like, being a total hypocrite, but also I have to be respected in this town. And a lot of times, like, getting people to change their attitudes towards a certain thing like that doesn't happen that quickly in two years. And I don't know. I, I did some things. I, I worked with like a group in uh, a group in the Peace Corps there that um, of other volunteers that educated peace. It was mostly for the Peace Corps, educated Peace Corps staff, but also like host families and stuff like that on the LGBTQ community. And um, Oh shit. I didn't you know what it means that. to be part of that community and stuff like that. And had some, really interesting and experiences, but all that was sort of outside of my, the community I was living in. Gotcha. Yeah. Is it straight machismo or is that oversimplifying it? Or is it, it, I guess just more religious That's a big part of it, right? Cause when you're talking about the drinkers, I'm, I'm, I mean, if you're the dudes that are waking up at five in the morning to like get drunk and ride cows, I'm imagining you're not so much into the church as more into the machismo. <laughs> Some of them were surprisingly religious at the same time. Really? But no, the machismo is real. That's a huge thing there. But yeah. I found, like, the, again, back to the, the group when I was teaching about the LGBTU community and um, even things down to, like, basic terminology and what it means to be part of that community and being sensitive to people in that community and stuff. We, we were teaching, first of all, Peace Corps staff, which is in the country, mostly Nicaraguan staff. And... Um, host families and this one specific group was um in the capital city of managua it can be kind of dangerous so the peace corps hired taxi drivers there were just like regular nicaraguan taxi drivers like as local machismo nicaraguan as you can get for the most part and um just hired them because and because they had a reputation of being like safe but we would get to know them because anytime we were in the capital city we had a list of people we'd call and they would like come get us and drive us around but again, like local as can be, but they interacted with us a lot. And we gave one specific um, class to them to talk about the LGBTQ community. And I was like kind of nervous. I was like, mm. this is like a crazy local group. Like, I don't know how receptive they're going to be to any of this or like what this is going to be like. But um, it turned out to be the best class that we gave. Really? Because they were like, yeah, because all the other Nicaraguans and stuff, like, they were professionals. Like, there's a big economic disparity. Like, oh. most of the country is so, so poor. And, like, a smaller section is, like, professionals makes a pretty good amount of money. There's, like, barely any middle class. And, like, more professional, they're, like, two totally different cultures almost to an extent. But um, but the regular Peace Corps staff was, like, open and professional and knew how to, like, not be offensive and like trying not to say the wrong thing, blah, blah, blah. Oh and yeah. The but they're all fucking street with being it. Blunt and like yeah. asking any question they had. But like we gave this class and like opened it up to questions and had some of the most interesting conversations I've ever had. Cause they were like so ignorant to this topic, but not in the bad way, just ignorant. And they've never had, they've never, you know, been exposed to this or talked about it in an environment where they can ask questions and right. actually receive answers. But we got questions that were, you know, most people would say are violently offensive. Like I got asked like, okay, if, if two men are in a relationship, like 
who is the who's going to be the woman? But it wasn't it wasn't asked in a way where everyone's like laughing. It was like right. they were asking a serious question. Yeah, because they want to understand. And, yeah, yeah, and it was all kinds of questions like this, and I was like, this is a really cool example. Like that's so offensive, but you're just trying to get a real answer, and we can have a real conversation about it and get through it. And that's exactly what we did. Like, I don't know it. It, it was a pretty eye-opening experience. It's funny when Very you say cool. you don't have the patience um, for children, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to misquote <laughs> you, but like it, it's just interesting to me that like, but the patience for that man and to not be offended, and to like, yeah, man, let's conversate, let's help, you know, spread the yeah. correct culture, is pretty fucking admirable, man. <laughs> you know. Thanks, dude. Yeah, no, it was it was cool. I've never been asked questions like that. That, that yeah, people just don't have an avenue that are that quote unquote ignorant about something to like ask those types of questions. And sometimes people are so quick to get offended on what people say without really looking at the intent of what they're saying. Oh, like yeah, well, people are really like at it looking for you know some type of knowledge or understanding something like that. Just don't understand a certain topic. Yeah, and some of these topics are you know difficult to talk about it well yeah if you were fucking raised for 45 years of your life believe in one thing and then you're like yeah wait that's different like yeah there's gonna be some and all cartels should like be careful not to ask a question that might be offensive but you know sometimes just questions are tricky to ask if you don't know what you're talking about and that's why you're asking questions to begin with yeah (laughs) dude so do you watch the office at all yeah okay do you remember when dwight and angela found out i think it might have been either they discovered that there was a gay person in the office but they go to toby and they start asking about how gay people have sex do you remember the end of that episode no i don't oh jesus dude it dwight Schrute <laughs> with his country ass goes so please tell me which man how do you know which man opens his penis to receive the other <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah right and like but the office does it in that way where you can't be mad because you just see dwight's vulnerability in that moment to be like this doesn't make sense i can't consider these things and like when you're talking about those taxi drivers they're almost coming from that same like cultural blindness of i've never seen like i I don't see this shit i don't understand how this works what are the norms you know Mm mm-hmm God, dude, that's one of my favorite off. And I don't remember the episode, but I just remember (laughs) Angela and Dwight going back there, like trying to figure out. And poor Toby is just sitting there like, what the fuck? Why did I choose human resources? (laughs) 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 I have to look it up. That shit. It was was one of the best endings. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. Jesus, teaching Nicaragua—I can't even say the word—Nicaraguan taxi drivers about LGBTQ culture. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a trip, dude. I bet. All right, man. Well, dude, you've given me two hours of your time at this point, which I really appreciate. So, can I, let me get you out of here on this, and though you very slickly tried to talk about my podcast being great though you've never listened to it (laughs) oh i listened to a couple episodes come on man i don't go into things that blindly (laughs) okay good yeah right so it's not a total fishing scam just gotta verify just gotta verify um (laughs) i try to end all podcasts with this 
and you've given me a bunch already. But can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My best what? First. For last. What do you mean? Oh, come on, man. I'm failing already. No, you're not. <laughs> when, when you put people on the spot, they fail. Like everybody honestly has. Um, yes. Because I give no... Best first. I, I give no heads up and because I like the authenticity of it. So best yeah. first for last, just like best for last. Do you have a best first experience that would oh, just best make first experience? Yeah, okay, best first for last. I'm really into alliteration. So I just love the way the best first flowed with best first for last. <laughs> so yeah, uh, <gasps> best dope ass on the spot. first experience bad. for anything that, um, Anyway, it doesn't have to connect to any of the amazing, um, I'm super jealous of the experiences life that you've lived already. I guess the one thing it can't be is your first reaction to being asked to be an official tour guide, virtual tour guide about Hawaii to an (laughs) ignorant podcast host. Don't make that your best first. Okay. All right. I'll try to avoid that. (laughs) My best first. Um... You know, when, it, when I started, I don't know why this popped into my head, but uh, when it. I started this current job as a biologist for all these remote Hawaiian islands, I um, I led a team out after working here for like three months, and I led a team of biologists out, and the first island we landed on was Turn Island in the French Frigate Shoals. And I've, my background is on marine biology, but I this island is just so covered in birds. Like, I swear, a square meter has three four different birds in it underground above ground sitting on the ground these giant <laughs> albatross chicks that are oh two feet high but it's still just a baby bird trying to peck you that are sitting there and other birds die bombing your face <laughs> and uh the like boat dropped us off and then just sped away and we're standing there and i was just like in complete awe of the wildlife there's like these birds called them red-footed boobies just landing on your heads <laughs> And um, oh I was God, just having dude. this like amazing moment, but at the same time, I was out there bringing this uh, this girl that was this videographer out that was um, doing a film, and she gets off on the island with like her eighteen like a thousand pounds of gear, and goes, "I think I'm afraid of birds." And I was like, <laughs> "Girl, you're gonna gotta you have to get over it right now." <laughs> <laughs> but. I, I just the, the like amazing wildlife experience cut with that was like one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Hilarious. <laughs> How did you like, was it that easy to talk her off the ledge or was she like kind of traumatic with it for a bit more? Well, I think she realized the same thing I did. You're on this tiny, tiny Island, literally in the middle of nowhere and can't get off. Like you don't have any choice <laughs> except to swim away to get away from the birds. <laughs> God. Red-footed boobies. So they're aggressive? Why are they hitting your head? Oh, uh, no. The red-footed boobies just like to perch on things. <laughs> because there's not many tall things out on the island. So they just like see your head and they don't have any natural fear of humans. So uh, they just come and land on you and you walk around doing a survey. They're still landing on your head. And like, are you swatting at them or are you feeling like, man, this no, is kind of cool? Are like, these are past swatting like flies. These are like big... I don't know, 15 pound birds. Holy shit, dude. 
So like, what do you do when they land on your head? You just walk and let them? Yep, basically. Shut I mean, up, you can, man. You can like duck and get them to go away if you want to, but it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't worry at all about like the bird shitting on your back or anything like that, or like oh, you're getting shit on left and right. It's no. already happening. <laughs> it's already happening. Oh my god, how are you okay with that? What is wrong with you, Dan, that you're okay with that? Why is that a day of work for you, Dan? What the fuck? You shouldn't be. You just got to adapt to new realities, you know? <laughs> Dude, I love it. Adapt to new realities. <laughs> like, this is what my life is now. I'm just covered in shit for the next few weeks. It's okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is. But, like, again, at the end of the day, man, when are you going to get to fucking go on podcasts or go to cocktail parties or what the fuck ever and just be able to be like, you know what I could really break down for you? The type, amount, and smell of red-footed booby shit and wh- how hard it is to get out of your clothes. Like, <laughs> there you go. Like, who else fucking gets to do that, man? That's amazing. <laughs> Jesus. Dan, dude, that's uh, man. Like, so I'm so grateful for your time. I really appreciate you taking two hours to um, just fucking chat with a stranger in Delaware, man, and uh, let me get to know you. Let listeners get to know you, dude. Um, it was uh, it was super interesting. I, there was four fucking things in there. I completely, I thought it was gonna be like all naked and afraid stuff at first, and I'm I'm so glad it wasn't. It was great to know more than like naked and afraid, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great. Yeah, dude. So appreciate it, man. And uh thank you so much, man. Have a All right. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. Talk to you later. Thanks to Dan for taking so much time to share about his global experiences and personal stories. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for supporting the podcast. Um, Take a moment, go to his site, do a little screen shopping for unique, one-of-a-kind, trippy-ass merch. And please, finally, friend, follow, subscribe, rate the Getting to Know You pod. It's all one word. We really appreciate the support. Bye.